Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things here on a Wednesday morning. I had a lot to talk about, and we'll bring Jeff Woody in here uh, in just a moment. But first, I needed to thank this week's Cyclone Fanatic super patron. Um, and it's one that, you know, Cyclone Fanatic would probably exist without these two people, but I know that my contributions to the site that I've been able to make over the years literally would not exist if it was not for my mom and dad, Pete and Holly Stansberry. Uh, they live in Clarinda. They own a business back in Clarinda. Um, and neither one of them would be someone I would term as a, an Iowa State fan. Uh, my uncle went to Iowa State. My great aunt went to Iowa State. But that's about where um, my family's connection to Iowa State kind of runs out. Uh, my mom went to Nebraska. My dad's a guy from Oregon who ended up in Iowa after playing college baseball uh, and then has, has been here for most of the rest of his life. And uh, one day, uh, seven plus years ago, um, I woke up in the dorm room uh, at Kresge Hall at Simpson College and decided I was done playing basketball and, and I wanted to go to Iowa State. I'd been to Ames twice in my entire life, I think. Um, and both times it was for a football game. And other than that, I knew nothing about Iowa State. But I told my mom and dad that that's where I felt like I needed to be. And, and they stood behind me. They supported me 100% in making that decision. And uh, this job... This industry is a, is a grind. And I know that you've heard me and Chris talk about that before, um, but there's so much that goes into, you know, really getting to even where I'm at, you know, and by no means am I, am I finished with, with my goals that I have in my life or what my dreams are. Um, but even to get to this point is, is a, is a long slog. You know, I got my first job in this industry when I was just coming out of a, my senior year of high school, worked at KMA in Shenandoah. Uh, I didn't make a dime. I literally did not make a dime. Um, and then I drove around the entire state covering high school football games every Friday for four years, uh, making $50 a week. And for a long time, that was the only money that I ever made doing this. Uh, it started with Cyclone Fanatic. I didn't make any money. I worked at KASI in Ames for about eight months uh, doing that, and I did not make any money. And the entire time, my mom and dad were standing behind me and supporting me and were always trying to help push me towards, um, the goals that I, that I had set forth for myself. Um, I would not be who I am as a person. And I definitely wouldn't be who I am as a sports fan. If it was not for my mom and dad, uh, whether it was my dad taking me to baseball stadiums around the country to go to games during the summer or my mom, um, <laughs> you know, taking me back and forth to, to Lincoln, Nebraska for football games, uh, seven Saturdays out of the fall. And, uh, and then all the other stuff in between. Um, but they have, they have always stood behind me, even in the times when I'm sure it was somewhat frustrating for them, uh, to see where one, I was not making any money whatsoever doing this job. And then, uh, and then two, you know, just seeing different things that, that, come with the territory of doing this, whether it's people saying things to you on the internet or whatever it may be, um, because they know that, that I have a dream. Uh, they know that this is the one thing that I've always wanted to do. Uh, I've known that from a, a very young age that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to sit and talk about sports every day. And that's what I get to do. And if it was not for my mom and dad, uh, I would not get to do that. I never would have gotten to the position to where I could do that. Uh, a lot of parents would probably look at um, kind of the climb that it took and the grind of it and the uh, different stressors, uh, and they would start to try and push their, their kid a different way. 
Uh, my mom and, and dad have never done that. They've always been uh, understanding and they've always helped me keep my eyes on the ultimate goal. And I, I appreciate them so much for that. Uh, I appreciate them for the amount of support that they have, have always given me. And I know that everybody at Cyclone Fanatic appreciates their contributions to the site uh, as a Cyclone Fanatic super patron. So I love you guys. Uh, and I'm eternally grateful. I'll never be able to pay you back for everything that you guys have done for me. If you want to become a Cyclone Fanatic super patron, you can find out more information on the Cyclone Fanatic homepage and uh, you can get shout outs like these. I don't know that I'll give you as heartfelt of one as I just gave to my mom and dad, but I'll do my best. I, I know that I've got some other people coming up here uh, in the pipe that I'll have to, to give pretty good shout outs to as well. So without much further ado, here's a new episode of Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. All right, we welcome in now here on Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network, the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Woody. What's up, brother? That seems like a like quite the introduction. That's not, I don't know if it's totally deserved. I don't think I'm a myth. I mean, a, le- a legend, I feel like it implies a story, and I feel like there are stories that you could, that could be really dumb legends, like the legend of like the jackalope, like I'm a jackalope. A jackalope. It's a legend, but it's not really that cool of a legend. It's just a story that gets told. So sure, I'll take jackalope. Uh, but I feel like the myth, like that, Im- I feel like that implies some type of grand story. Is a, is a jackalope a, a legend or a myth? Ah, that's a good question. I think, I feel like it's more legend. I feel like it's more, I also, wait a second. Does myth imply, so myth implies falsehood. Yeah. Legend implies mysteriousness, maybe. Huh? So like a legend that. could be true. A legend could be true. Like Loch Nessie could exist. That's a myth. No, like I think that's probably a myth or a conspiracy theory of some sort. I don't know that that's a legend. So a legend I feel like is possibly true. Like a person, a potentially inflated story where a myth is just flat out false. Well, and in, in this context, I don't think I'm necessarily using it that way either. Like I'm saying the legend as in you are legendary for something you have done fine which would be accurate it's right there on your wall behind you well that's just a jersey it doesn't well yeah but that the you know you are for will forever or forever be a legend in cyclone lore i'll take it i'll okay. take it well i'm glad that you'll accept that jay couldn't join us today jay's busy and uh i have a busy schedule so i could not uh we could not accommodate him but Ooh, we have plenty to talk about important. huh somebody's important well, sorry that me and Jay are both important and you're not. I don't know what to tell you. You're right. Like, we both have very busy schedules, many things to do, many people that are relying on us to complete very important tasks, and then you just sit around at home. That's right. Waiting for us to, to be able to fart with you. I just, I need someone to tell me what to do. I greatly enjoy when people do tell me what to do, and I'm concerned with everything going on in my own existence in my room that I can't leave it. I'm a hermit. <laughs> okay, you just sit there with your lapel mic on all day, every day, <laughs> waiting for the text message from me that we're going to record a football and random things. Yes, I've waited six months. <laughs> well, it has been, what, two weeks since we last recorded? Yeah, and there's stuff that ha- – I feel like the news cycle with college football is very fast. Yeah, I remember we were going to record two that day, and I think I, I was like, yeah, I don't know that this would be a good idea. We should probably wait on this. Things are moving very quickly, and it turns out that things are moving very quickly. And uh, in the last like two weeks, 
we have gone through a roller coaster of emotions from the football season being all but canceled to the football season, maybe not being canceled to now the football season, maybe probably not being canceled except for in some parts of the country. And that's where we're, we've landed now for a week ago, one week ago right now. But it feels uh, like the it's Big pretty, put out its schedule. It feels like it's pretty firm in the fact that um, at least three conferences will play and uh, what that looks like exactly as far as like protocols with COVID cases or what have you, those haven't been necessarily released. I don't know if they are created yet, um, but it seems like it will be, um, it will, it's going to happen. We just don't know how consistently it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it also, this is, I, I think what's fun is because I think the big 12 and the big 10 have this, like, I don't know if it's necessarily a sibling rivalry. Like it just seems like it's actually just like a flat out rivalry. I, like, say, I think big, it's just a rivalry. Like the big 12 and the big 10 generally just don't like each other. Um, can't imagine why it's weird um but what's funny is when you see someone that you naturally kind of have some animus towards um you who when they do something dumb it brings you a little bit of like that schadenfreude of like you guys have really backed yourselves into a corner so what's fun is the big 10 situation now and everyone who's listening to this probably is aware of it but they made essentially they were the first conference that had their meetings to determine whether they were going to play or not. And they just said that they, were they weren't going to play. And I think they were rolling the dice to assume the fact that they felt they had enough clout to say, if we don't play, then that means no one else is going to play because we're setting the example. When everyone else is like, shut up. Yeah. And they did their own thing. And so now the Big Ten is electing not play, haven't released the conversations. They haven't released this transcript of what was going on. They haven't released what options they kicked on the table. They just said, nope, we're not going to do it. I'm sure if they and did play, if they did release it, it would be a perfect transcript. It was a, it was a perfect call. It was a, per <laughs> a perfect call. Uh, that's a throwback. Uh, back when simpler times. Um, but the, the situation they're in now, because the SEC elected, we're going to says we're going to play football. The ACC said, we're going to play football. The Big 12 said, we're going to play football. And then I think the American Athletic Conference said they're going to play football, which is... Yeah, and Conference USA and Sunbelt, too. And Conference, Conference USA and Sunbelt. And then the rest of the country said, okay, we're done. So, like, 40% of the teams said, sure, and 60% of the teams agreed with the Big 10-ish. So, what happens now, though, is everybody... It's like 60 for the... 60 for the, for the affirmative. Yeah. Uh, so... Now the teams of the Big Ten, which are significant revenue generators, with what I would consider not the most pleasant fan bases between Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa, like fans that can become nagging, um, they are now having to defend themselves. So the position the Big Ten's backed themselves into is two bad options with only one possible okay out route. And in that potential out, they have to root for something horrible to happen. Right. So one, option number one, which is bad, is they, don't, they, they double down and they don't have their season despite how much pressure has gone against them and saying, hey, we really should have a season. So bad option number one is they hold firm and piss everybody off with no explanation really why they did it especially because everyone else did. So if they hold their season, this is like a sub part of this and the big 12 SEC, ACC, those seasons go on even relatively. Okay. Like if it's an, it's fine. Like it's not even exemplary and 
you know, it, whatever. There's there are certain games that get canceled and moved around or whatever, but it's still playable. And the whole season gets through, and the Big Ten still doesn't have a season. Then everybody looks at the Big Ten and goes, "You idiots! These other people could figure it out, and you canceled it, and it even worked out okay. What's wrong with you?" And they look like morons. Then bad option number two that they're currently in is they could go, "You know what?" you're right, let's change and let's actually have a football season, which that means they have gone against a, a ruling that they had, which means anything controversial that they do in the future, if people throw enough of a fit, they're gonna overturn it because they've set a precedent now that public opinion can sway a big decision. So they've either kneecapped their own authority or they have put themselves in a position where they look like idiots when the season goes on at least adequately. So the only positive outcome for the Big Ten is if the SEC, ACC, Big 12 uh, seasons or whatever the rest of the remaining portion of college football is an absolute dumpster fire and a ton of people get sick. That's the only good outcome. So now the Big Ten is in a position where they either look like idiots or for not being able to figure out something, they kneecap their own authority, or they have to actively root for people to get sick. So like those are the three positions that they're in and there isn't really much wiggle room in between them. And they, the Pac-12 is in the same position. So, like, those two conferences have really um, – they, they assumed they were bigger than they were by saying, if we do it, you're going to do it, without talking to anyone else saying, are you guys going to cancel the season? We don't want to be the only ones that, does the, that do this. It was so, to me, it seemed like they assumed they had more clout than they did when the rest of the teams were like, no, this is dumb. We're going to keep going on this. Yeah, and that's where – I think that this really put into perspective the standing of some of these leagues. And obviously the Big Ten way overestimated their standing, mm -hmm. which isn't surprising to me at all because for a long time, the Big Ten, they sit up in their ivory tower of being, oh, we are these great academic institutions, which don't get me wrong, a lot of them are, uh, you know, and we are up here. We are the college football power five elite we're always together. We're always on the same page and all those kinds of things. And it's like they're yelling down wearing their little bow ties and six-piece suits. Thou shall not play football. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thou shall not play football in their little stuffy little room with, um, you know, that smells like rich mahogany and has uh, a lot of leather. And then all <laughs> of the degenerates down at the bottom of the tower, the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, they looked up and they said, screw you nerd <laughs> and uh and then the pac-12 was out on a hill like somewhere out to the west and they're like big 10 we're with you hey hey pay attention to us we're we're we want to come too can we come too <laughs> and everybody's like shut up pac-12 you don't even matter here and uh and, the, and then the Big Ten looks in like in the, you know, the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC are still down there having their party, and they're like, yeah, we're going to play football. We're going to be out here. We're going to make all our money and all this stuff. And the Big Ten sitting up there like, these idiots. Don't they, didn't don't they know who we are? Don't yeah. they know who we are? And that's why I think that you don't see them put out, you know, the information that they got from their medical advisory board or any of those kinds of things because – I don't think that they have any solid information to stand on to justify making this decision at this point. 
And the thing to me that backs that up is that doctors from Michigan who were on that advisory board, there's the doctor at the Mayo Clinic, uh, there's a doctor at Nebraska that was consulted by the Big 12. They all say that it's fine to play. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing these people come out publicly and they're like, oh, shit. Uh, all right. Um, call Pat Forty. Uh, you know, call Pete Thamel. Uh, we got to get our guys on this and we got to start, we got to get the unnamed sources information flowing fast to try and discredit these people and make them look like the idiots that we think they are. But in reality, we, they're the ones that we look like right now. And, uh, and that's what just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I think that this has been a gross, a gross uh, lack of leadership, especially on the part of the big 10. Because I think that the conference and the commissioner, their new commissioner, Kevin Warren, made a decision, didn't give anybody else really any sort of input in that decision, and then just was like, we're rolling with it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That, and, that's, and that's why you see a lot of the discontent that's continued to come out. And then there's a report today from Jeff Snook, who's an Ohio State writer, who says that uh, Nebraska, Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa are trying to get two more schools on board to play a 10-game season with them. And to basically to defy the Big Ten, but it will only be Big Ten schools that will be playing and they'll all play home and homes against each other. And if this was a unified decision, then they would be unified in doing what they said they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Clearly, this was not a unified decision. And clearly, the schools were not given the amount of input that they probably should have had. And, and that's where I got to give Bob Bowlesby credit because I don't think that he tries to push the conference's leaders to do anything. Right. He'll give his opinion and he'll give um, some guidance, but I don't think he says like, no, this is what we're going to do. Whereas in the big 10, I think that that's how it is. And I don't know that that's necessarily the right thing when you are talking about a lot of individual institutions spread across a very vast portion of the country where different things matter to them than what matter to Northwestern, you know, or what matters to Maryland or Rutgers mm-hmm. or wh- whoever it may be. And, and that's just what, is, is really disappointing to me because I think that it's become glaringly clear that some of the people, not only in, co- in college athletics, but in college, the college higher education system in general have, have been exposed for the very poor leaders that they are. Well, and I think the other thing that's interesting about it is um, there is a leadership structure that can happen behind closed doors that even though like these are all public institutions, I think other than Northwestern, maybe and Rutgers is Rutgers, Rutgers a public institution. I think Rutgers is a public institute or public okay. university of New Jersey. So I, they're, they're public institutions. So I would think the freedom of information act at some point is going to be able to get this information out because it is public. Yeah. So I know the FOIAs at, have already been filed at some point, this information is going to come out. So that's one of those things is you either get ahead of the story, you get bit by it. Like one of those things, you're going to have, they're going to have to release this information or what they were discussing or what they were talking about or why they made it, why they made the decision. But again, either way, they're sitting between a rock and a hard place. And the only way out is a horrible path forward, which I would imagine no one really wants to happen other than, like you were mentioning the ivory tower of big 10 leadership. The other thing that I think this highlights generally is um, how in the world does the NCA stay together generally like between different conferences universities have their own right to call whatever, when the teams come back or what the protocols are going to be and the conferences decide whether they're going to have a season or not. And then 
they report to the NCAA for like rules and legislation. How in the world does the NCAA not have any type of control over top of this to say, hey, here's what we were recommending, do this if you want to, versus just saying, all right, you guys come up with a solution, we'll see what we do. Yeah, I mean, I think that at this point, uh, wanting the uh, governing leadership of college athletics to do anything competent is probably asking a little bit too much. (laughs) <laughs> which is unfortunate mm-hmm. to say, but I would say that over the last, I don't know, century, it's become blatantly clear that they have no interest in really doing anything. Uh, and it's just, it is just crazy to me how, um, how, how they're kind of just like cool with like letting it go, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I don't know, man. I feel like this is going to create like a massive shift in the future because this is going to, there are going to be rifts that come out of this that are so deep that I don't know that they could be healed, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the big 10. I mean, between some of these, these schools, the individual schools in the conference, um, I just, I just don't think that that, I cannot see that being fixed easily, you know? And, and I don't know, man, I don't know what's going to happen, but, uh, I think at the end of the day, like the big 10 is going to have a serious problem on their hands. And that's why I say that the, the information from the unnamed sources is going to start to flow because they're going to do everything that they can in the back channels to try and keep them from being able to play and not like actually like, you know, sabotaging them or anything like that. But that's why I say they're going to call up their boy, Pat 40, or they're going to call up their boy, Pete Thamel or whoever it may be and start trying to get information to them to, try and push these leagues to do something, you know? And, and I think that you've already been started to see it where, uh, where, you know, the information about the myocarditis leaked out mm-hmm. and, uh, and they're starting to put out that kind of stuff. And I'll say like, man, as stupid as the PAC 12 has been for a long time, a long time, basically they just do whatever the big 10 does. At least they put out some information. And at least when you looked at the information, you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, I can get it. You know, like Mm. with everything that's still going on in Southern California or what's going on in Arizona, like all those kind of stuff, it's like they're probably not going to have the money to test as much as what they would need to under these guidelines. I can understand it, you Mm -hmm. know. Uh, I don't necessarily – I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think reasonable reasonable people can look at the information and make and come to different conclusions. Yeah, and I think that's the the, just a general rule of I feel like any type of leadership, anything is – because I told you so is the worst. It's the worst possible edict you could use to say, we're doing this because I said so. We're like, justify a little bit, at least put your, your, your reasoning on the table. Like you're talking about with the PAC 12, just generally saying like, this is why we thought the way we did. And then we made the decision the way we did agree or not. This is what we're looking at where the big 10 has been. I told you so. And like, but that doesn't make any sense. Why, why would you tell us to, drive an oncoming traffic it, because you told me so like if there's a reason that i'm driving an oncoming traffic cool let's go but i don't you don't make any sense right now and so to me it just seems like they're doubling down because i told you so which again no bueno well and especially when you consider the fact that so many of these schools are bringing kids back to campus you know and like students not the athletes but the students bringing them back to campus and uh, and this is like, 
I was thinking about this last night, and Chris has talked about this a lot on his radio show and, and all that kind of stuff, but these schools are going to bring kids back to campus knowing full well what's going to happen. And they're going to watch thousands of kids across the country get sick, hundreds, of th- hundreds to, to thousands of kids get sick, and then they're going to say, all right, you guys couldn't handle it. Go home. Go on home. We'll teach you online for the rest of the year. And then they'll cash their tuition checks. And that I, I was like, when people were sitting there talking about athletics being the money grab, that's the bigger money grab than the athletics side of it. At least in the athletics side, they're like, yeah, we're not going to be able to sustain any of this stuff. Like if we, if we don't play football, you know, mm-hmm. at least like they're kind of open about it on the athletics or on the academic side. Like they're just like, yeah, no, you guys can't handle it. Go home. Doesn't matter. Can't do it. You guys can't can't take keep control of yourselves. Knowing full well, these people work with eighteen to twenty two year olds every day. <laughs> what did they expect to happen? Well, and I, it's interesting because um, it's strictly from the athletic standpoint, uh, I like what Saban had like Nick Saban had actually brought this up, and he was talking about how um, if you were to take a look kind of across the the roster from top to bottom. Uh, a lot of where, this, where everyone comes from is totally across the board, but regardless of where they come from, unless you come from a very affluent area. So even basically middle-class on down, these kids are going to go home. If you, let's say you dismiss them from campus, you cancel the season, you send everybody home. These kids are going to go home back to a middle-class or lower area with as best they can to try and keep safe. But if they get sick or if they do have to work, which is what most middle to low income kids would have to do, uh, you'd have to go work, you'd have to interact with the public. In the situation they're in right now, which is they're in a in an environment with a team doctor, which is specific to 150 tops athletes with an athletic trainer that sees them every single day, capacity to take their temperature, capacity to do a test and eat the or on the university's dime with uh, a group, a social structure that can only handle it. You can have friends and teammates and staff drop off food if they do have to quarantine. And the infection rate was like 2% or something like this at the time that Saban had said that quote. Or you could send them back home where they have to go to downtown Tallahassee where they really don't have, you know, they're living with uh, their grandmother and two siblings and a cousin with about $100 a day. Like which one of those two situations is better for the, the athlete itself? It's because the team structure allows them to be contained with health, like with healthcare, excuse me, like around them. So Michigan State uh, had dismissed their students or told them everything's going to be done online. And uh, Spears, in the, kind of the, the group conversation that we always have, mentioned like that would, if they were to do that, it actually like, granted, Michigan State's not playing football, but let's say that the basketball season rolls around, students are still at home. Theoretically, you could get a bubble on campus for your athletes then mm-hmm. because there is no other students, there are no other students on campus. So I don't necessarily know if a student's being on campus and being online is exclusive because you could potentially, if the Big 12, like as Director Pollard has talked about the importance of the football season, which I'm sure other other athletic directors have done the same thing, saying we need to have this happen. Our players want to have this happen. Let's find a way at all costs to make this happen. So in my mind, it doesn't necessarily mean send all the students home isn't completely mutually exclusive with saying the football season would be canceled or you guys can't handle it. But back to your point originally, that is a total crock. If by, by keeping tuitions at 
and saying, all right, you're back. We tried it, get out of here, still pay full tuition for doing everything online. So it, it, it's just, it's an interesting place to live in because there are the, the idiosyncrasies that are, that it kind of exists and have been kind of able to be tied together because the system's existing. Now, as the system is starting to still fall apart, you're looking at everything being like, wait, as these, as this has been stretched, these threads don't make any sense. And so you can see it now because of the whole thing being pulled apart. So I don't know, but I'm all that aside, I'm just excited that there is the potential that football is going to happen because I didn't realize how, like before this whole thing of again, stretching everything apart and looking at things that don't make sense, my own mental consciousness, how much of my mental sanity gets built around fall and football. So that to me is just a nice little, it's, it's the thread that I was, I mean, jokingly have said, like, it's like a, a recovering crack addict walking in front of a crack house, like that type of thing of like, you can look in, you can see the thing that you need, like that you are addicted to me and football is the same way, like giving me hope that there's going to be a season. This would be a bad time now to cancel it. Cause everybody would be really mad. So in my mind, I think they're going to do everything they can to keep the season going because players want to, fans want to, university needs it. I think I don't think there's at this point, I don't think they can go back on that. Yeah, and the last thing that I'll say on that before uh before then we can just talk about football. But uh we've talked about the liability issues and the things like that of playing football, uh, and if someone gets sick while they're playing football or or anything. The reality is, and you mentioned this, the reality is that if a kid did get sick while playing football, they're gonna have the best care possibly available to them plus mm. they're going to be getting tested all the time plus they're going to be able to go and get the ekgs and the uh and the mris and all that kind of stuff and they're not gonna to have to pay for it uh but when it's a regular student and this is what what i was really thinking about last night where you're starting to see some of these outbreaks on these campuses when it's a regular student they don't get any of that kind of stuff mm. and they don't have a team physician they have the yeah, student health center well or if you get uh if a couple like i said if you know, a couple hundred kids on a campus get sick or something like that. And then say, you know, God forbid someone were to pass away or someone has, you know, life altering complications that last a long time from this. Isn't that a bigger liability issue than what would happen with football? Because basically the university was like, yeah, you guys are on your own. We're sending you back home now, you know, and, and then there's way more kids on a college campus that could potentially get sick than there are on a football team. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where like the liability thing to me, I was like, that's a bigger liability risk than having them play football. Football is always like all, always a liability risk because it's a dangerous game just inherently. Right. Well, and it's, it's interesting because uh, I think a lot of people don't realize how integrated everything is within the college football kind of family. Like when you walk in the building, when I would go to a position meeting in the new Bergstrom, which I drove through a, or drove by, uh, we went to went golfing at Vinker this weekend and kind of drove through campus on the way back and looked at the new student athlete success center is like already three stories up. Like it, it's going to be really cool. But anyway, like in that new building that we got to go in order to get to our t position meeting room. So you walk in, you go past the equipment room, you grab your things, you go to the locker room. And then in order to even get to either the weight room or the meeting rooms, you have to walk by the athletic training center, which has an office for the team doctor. So you're literally walking by the doctor's office three to five times a day. And if you, 
or, and I'm sure they're going to have protocols in place where you're going to have to get your temperature taken. You're going to have to get swabbed, sort of like if you've watched Hard Knocks at all, like they have to do a every single day test. Those kinds of things are not only readily accessible, they're almost like forced to say like, here, we're going to make sure that you're healthy, even if you don't care that you're going to be healthy. Here you go. So the, the, the integration of this is, yeah, I had to walk by the training room and the doctor's office every single day, even on my way to position meetings, and then had to walk back to the locker room, past those rooms on the way back to the locker room, and then walk by them again on the way to practice. So like, there's no, there's no better place for a young person to be than in an athletics building, especially one as well-funded as football. So to me, that is like you're talking about liability-wise, Yes, there's some liability by bringing kids back to campus and having to play football just because, you know, you're putting, you're telling people to be in a tight group together. But if you were to respond to something, that is the best possible place for them to be. Definitely. All right, let's talk about football. Um, obviously, Iowa State put out their, well, the Big 12 released their schedule and Iowa State completed it later that day um, when they announced the addition of Louisiana on September 12th, which is what? now days today 19th so that's like 20, 24 days away 24 days god bless america yeah god bless america jared 24 days away from the cyclones opening season game against louisiana uh if there's going to be a team with a tougher schedule in america than iowa state i don't know who it would be to be quite frank i mean louisiana was picked to win the sun belt uh, they have been to a bowl game two of the last three seasons. They won 11 games last year. And uh, they return a bunch of dudes on that team who are, are really good players, including a quarterback named Levi Lewis, who threw for over 2,000 yards, I think 30-something touchdowns and four interceptions last year, as I want to say a redshirt freshman. Um, that Iowa State did not make this easy on themselves in any way to put it simply. But I also think in the same vein, they are, they understand what they have and they understand there's going to need to be a challenge. So I think goal number one is that when they were scheduling is get someone on the schedule. Like that's goal number one. Goal number two is it needs to be someone that you, it, it, you don't need a total cakewalk because that's more, you only get so many games. You like an injury prevention is a big thing, knock on wood, but also uh, you need to have some kind of test because when you go into the big 12 season, like you're not going to get Kansas every week. You're going to have to, you're going to be playing the majority of the big 12 teams. And I really there's, think there's only going to be, I would call it maybe Texas tech and uh, Kansas that are going to be, and even Texas tech is, uh, can be fiery every once in a while, but only really two games that are going to be like, okay, there is an easy expectation to win this one. All the rest of them, even the, you know, from West Virginia on up, there are battles. There are going to be things that you could win or lose either one of them. Uh, so you're going to have to get challenged. I don't know anything about Louisiana. And to clarify for those that thought we played Louis it was Louisiana Monroe was a different school that Iowa state dropped 267 points on. This is uh, formerly Louisiana Lafayette, the raging Cajuns. So um, the, I, I, I'm excited, like, as we kind of do more farts going forward, excited to like look into Louisiana. But for right now, I think just generally with, yeah, their season's tough, but they had to get some kind of challenge on the board first before they started going in the Big 12 season where it takes a huge step up. Well, and you look at – I mean, we it's no secret that Iowa State has struggled early in seasons <laughs> the last several years. Uh, 
And there's not really going to be any room for that whatsoever. Uh, I mean, obviously the season's off to a little bit of a later start, so maybe that could play a role. And then you get a bye week right after playing Louisiana. Uh, but, I mean, you go from there to where you got to go on the road to TCU, which I think TCU should be considerably better than they were a year ago. Mm-hmm. Max, especially, du- if Max Duggan, yeah. especially if Duggan kind of continues to progress. Right. Max Duggan will be a year older. I mean, they could have potentially the best secondary in the league. Um, I mean, they're going to be, they're going to be really good, but then you've got Oklahoma <laughs> coming to town the next week. And, uh, I, I do like the way that the schedule's set up where you've kind of got the three game pods, assuming that none are, which it might, it's probably a big assumption, but, uh, that games aren't getting moved around or having to be reshuffled and things like that. Uh, but like, there's no ramp up time, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's hit the ground running or, or you're going to get ran over. Yeah, and so the the thing that I, I just generally about the season that I've I've kind of kicked around in my own head, my expectation. So I'm, is it ten games in the schedule? Yeah, I think my expectation is that eight get played. Like that's what I'm going into the season thinking. And the reason I and and this is sort of trying to read between the lines. The way that they schedule the season, there are three bye weeks in there, and it's starting a week later. So it's hopefully giving more preparation, uh, and also. I don't know if that, but anyway, hopefully giving preparation to start a week later, starting in the 12th. Um, but then having the bye weeks throughout the season, if there were to be, you know, let's call it Kansas state and there's a uh, 12 active cases at Kansas state and the protocol dictates that you then have to postpone that game. Well, because there's more bye weeks than usual. And I think because there's a shorter season, there's probably, they're probably willing to pop one on the end of the game or end of the year in December. So there's really three more opportunities where if you do have to cancel Kansas state, also, when you look at the schedule, there's one of two weeks that each team it's like, like you're talking about little pods where it's like one, two, three, buy one, two, three, buy everybody is following that same schedule. So the odds of you running another buy with any team throughout the season is I think a hundred percent at the start of the year. So like, Let's say right away, you know, worst comes to worst, TCU or Iowa State has a high number of cases and the protocol dictates that you postpone that game. Well, you just move it from week number three back down to like week number six because both teams would be able to do that because they've scheduled it where buys are on the same week for the entire conference. But uh, in those bye weeks, I think there's two games. So it's like week in Big 12, it's like week one, two, and then in the third week, there are two games, so four teams playing and six teams off. The next week, it's the inverse of that, where six teams are playing and four teams are off. And then you go another one, two, three, or one, two, three, four. And then you still have the same. At one point, you're going to overlap a bye with someone else, just in case a game does get postponed, that you can move it later. And then at the end of the last little pod is if, you know, there's, there's a, in week number 10 of the Big 12, and there's two, two weeks left, and you cancel that one, just put it at the end of the season. So, like, they've made essentially like you can think of it like periods in wrestling where like if you make it through the third if, if something happens in the first period you put at the end of that first period if something happens in the second period you put at the end of that second period and the third you put at the third so they made the schedule flexible enough that you can actually cancel it but another let's let's say more crazy stuff happens that tc or iowa state gets sick and cancels the game against tcu then later tcu cancels their game and gets sick against iowa state well all of a sudden you just have to wash that game from the schedule you can't play it so i'm in my head i'm expecting that eight games get played and two of them just get essentially forfeit not forfeit but just two, two get canceled because of whatever protocol dictates so if 10 get played i'll be super happy but if two get canceled that's kind of in the expectation so like 
there is going to be stuff that happens this year, whether you're forcing someone to get, you know, like we talked about with Jay in one of the earlier episodes, someone's going to have to get benched because they have, even if they're asymptomatic or if they come in contact with someone that tested positive or if they tested positive, whatever, then they're going to have to sit out for two weeks or 10 days or whatever it is. So there are going to be times when you're game planning and you're like, Hey, we really want to play man or something like that. And then all of a sudden Tavon Kyle and Anthony Johnson, both are asymptomatic with, but test positive and you have to completely restructure the whole thing. So like, it's, it's going to be a weird season. And I think the, like I, like I was saying, like my internal expectation is that eight games get played out of 10. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, one thing I think that actually kind of bodes well for Iowa State when you look at their schedule is that originally they were supposed to play Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas in three consecutive games. I think there was a bye maybe between Oklahoma State and Texas. I'd have to – Just while we have – like read the schedule kind of just as they go sort of – so the listener can kind of have it in their head if they're in the car and can't pull it up. Yeah, so it's September 12th is Louisiana, September 26th at TCU, October 3rd against versus Oklahoma and Ames, uh, October 10th versus Texas Tech. Then you ought to buy on the 17th, then October 24th at Kansas State, at Can- or at Oklahoma State, excuse me, at Kansas, uh, home against Baylor, buy, home against Kansas State, at Texas, and then home against West Virginia on December 5th. That December 5th game is going to be a shit show. In Think the about the weather on December 5th in oh, Iowa. In Ames? Oh, yeah. it's going to be great. Well, it's also West Virginia, so they don't really care. But We've been there. We've been there that first weekend in December game. Oh, I remember. That was a senior night. That was zero degrees at kickoff. No, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the Baylor or the Drake game two years ago. Oh, where it was 40 and rainy. Yeah. And the field was just like a mud pit. It looked, like the, it looked like the scene in the longest yard. How many uh, home games? Seven? Uh, six? One, two, three, four, six. I would imagine everybody has six. You got six and mm-hmm. six and four road games. So I, yeah, this is the season. I think the, the schedule is set up to be flexible. So you could postpone games if you had to, uh, but there are still going to be, there's going to be crazy stuff that happens. Iowa state doesn't have to go to Norman, which is neat. Mm-hmm. They can, or they get to play them earlier. Also Spencer Rattler is only going to have had two games under his belt by the time he does yeah. come to Ames. I was just saying the earlier gonna, you can play them, the better in my yeah. mind. And one of which is going to be, um, some non-con game, which is going to be, I don't know who they play, but I'm guessing. I'm not sure. Not going to be the greatest one. What I'm interested in is how the, whatever the postseason looks like. Is it, it's sure it's going to be an asterisk. Like it's going to be, even if they have a playoff, it's going to be an asterisk, which I bet they still have a playoff because they probably already sold the advertising for it six years ago when they're four years ago when they started coming up with this thing. So I bet I mean, basically let's, but let's think about this. What, what schools really would have, I mean, Ohio state, is that probably mm-hmm. the only school that really would have factored into it anyway? Yeah, I don't think there's any Pac-12 schools that would have showed up. Yeah, I mean, I know Oregon was supposed to be pretty good, but I don't know, I don't know that they would have been that good had mm-hmm. to replace a quarterback. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so it's like, okay, well, we're not going to have Ohio State here. Clemson's still around. Clemson's still Alabama's here. Still Alabama's around. still here. Georgia's still here. LSU's still Texas, here. Oklahoma's Oklahoma. still here. Texas Whoever comes out of the bank 12. Yeah. I mean, at this point, basically in it'll be three, the three power five conference winners and, and one at large and one at large. And I mean, 
The if there was ever a year for someone from the AAC or from, you know, from somewhere else to get up there and get in, like if they could go undefeated, I guess this would probably be the time. I'm not saying that they will, but you know, if Central Florida went undefeated or Cincinnati went undefeated or something, like I, I mean, it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility that maybe they'd get in. Yeah, just for the sake, and once he's like, yeah, what the hell? Let's throw them in this year. That would be hilarious if Central Florida ended up playing for the national championship, like. In a year where nothing matters. Yeah. <laughs> Finally get a chance to justify their 2017 national title. Uh, but, yeah, man, I mean, I think I think it'll be – I don't know that it'll be fun leading up to it. It's fun to think about because we've been thinking about so much other crazy stuff for so long. But it's like – I mean, and, too, when we say it's 24 days from now, 24 days feels like seven years in 2020. In 2020. <laughs> I mean, just think what's yeah. happened in the last 24 days. <laughs> I mean, 24 days ago would have been what? Uh, July. Today's what? The 19th? Yeah. It would have been uh, like July 26th or something. It was a long time ago. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But either way, I mean, there, like I said, in, in my head, it seems like at this point, with as much certainty as has been placed, it would be hard. It would take a, a severe governing body steamrolling of Big 12, SEC, ACC, um, you know, non-Power non 5 conferences in order for this not to happen in some fashion. What that fashion looks like, what the COVID rules are going to be, how, what the caseload is going to be, what happens when kids go back to school, all that is really up in the air. But it, I would imagine that this is, it sort of seems like they put themselves irredeemably forward if they do cancel it at this point then again you piss off more people with what you again you, you can't it's steamrolling here is the only way that's going to not happen so it's still possible everything in 2020 is possible but um to me it seems like there is something to look forward to technically yeah. all right last thing i want to ask you about because i think you'll probably have an interesting perspective on this and uh a week and a half ago now when all this stuff was kind of starting to play, the, the players came out with their, we want to play movement um, and put out the, not necessarily list of demands, the things that they want and they wanted a college football players association. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about that? And how do you think that that could be? Are you, I mean, I imagine you are for it knowing how you are about, about those kinds of things, but um, what do you think the benefits of that would be? Or, or so, how do you, how do you view that? I guess. So it's really, it, it is interesting because the desire for it is huge. It's effectiveness. I don't know what it can actually do. So like each year you have, uh, unlike the NFL, like granted there are players like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and those guys that are um, your, your high profile celebrity people, which are really, you're, you're, they're driving a fair number of sales, but if they don't play, people are still coming to Clemson games. So yeah. like, you either have to get 100% uptake on this with every single player being on this college football, um, you know, association, player association, or it's not going to work at all because the only way that it, the only way, the only leverage that an under, like the, the underprivileged class in this case, athletes, the only privilege that they have or power they have is saying, all right, you're not going to give us what we want. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to play. 
and or these are the things that we want to say in order to play and there's a line to be drawn well if 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 half of the team is on this player association thing but the other half isn't the ncaa can essentially say all right well we're going to play this season anyway count it towards your eligibility and you have to leave whereas the nfl they could sit out and they could you can always come back in the nfl you can always come back if you're you know in the plumbers union or something like that and then you want better conditions for this you sit out a year you always have not necessarily infinite because you're at some point you're going to retire or die but you have more years that if you do say in 2020 i'm not participating i'm assuming that i'm going to have more on the back end where if you do that in college athletics you have a finite time limit and you only have four years that you can actually play. And if the governing body doesn't acknowledge that that is a, uh, that if they say, all right, you're choosing to sit out, you are choosing to give up one of your years of eligibility, then you no longer have the power to actually do anything unless 100% of your student athletes agree to not do it. So um, I think it's a, a long time coming for something because really there is no voice for the student athlete, none. I mean, one of my, my bigger beefs is um, not necessarily in the whole like paying players thing, because I know that's a giant can of worms, but an equitable, equitable distribution of the money that is going into college athletics doesn't actually trickle towards the players. It trickles towards the coaches who then in turn want to attract better players. So it attracts recruiting. So like if you are generally speaking, so like there are certain schools that do that differently and they do it really well, but um, like if in, what is it in in Bo Schembechler's salary back in the early 90s or 80s was like three hundred thousand dollars which in today's money is like probably about a you know just shy of a million but now well I mean, Jimbo Fisher is making like 8.5 million dollars so the way that you can describe it is imagine a water balloon and there's been more money funneled into this thing there's more money getting into the water balloon the water balloon will expand just because there's more money in it but if you start artificially cutting off where that money can go and you can't pay players and you can't pay for travel for their families, you can't pay for, you know, whatever. And yes, we talked about the general benefits of having like healthcare and stuff like that. And those are all nice things that, are, that have gone to players. But as the money has started to balloon, you essentially said you can't pay players, you can't pay for different benefits for them, or they don't have as much choice in these things because you know it's, a, it's an 18 year old kid or whatever. Well, the balloon is still filling. You've just covered, if you squeeze the balloon, you just covered a couple directions where it's gonna go. It's gonna now inflate faster in the other directions. So this new influx of money that's come into college athletics in the past 30 years um, has gone to places, it's gone to facilities, it's gone to coach salaries. So as a college football player association, that would allow them to get a seat at the table to say like, look, coaching salaries have raised at X percent over normal. And the value of a scholarship has gone at one fifteenth of that acceleration. Why is this not equitable? So you can give it to the same amount to everyone over time, or you could reduce and you, it just gives you a seat at the table. But again, I don't think it's necessarily effective unless 100% of your kids do it and they can get that eligibility rule plucked if you are part of the College Football Players Association, where if you do take part of this, then it's not going, and you do or just, you sit out a year, it's not going to cost you one of those. So again, it, it's a really weird, it, it's a fine line between, it's something that needs to happen, but it's something that only can happen with 100% success rate. See, I think the thing that, the thing that the players did that was a positive in that sense, you know, because we saw them come out and, you know, make their demands and stuff like that in the Pac-12 United and the Big Ten United and that kind of stuff. And that it had so many 
demands in it, some of them were so huge and some of them I'm not even completely sure would be legal uh, that it's, it was unrealistic. But when all you're asking for is a spot at the table, I think that that's a little bit more, it's like, okay, that's the jump off point, you know, and get your spot at the table. And I think if they wanted to do it, you could do it where, you know, there's, it's broken up into each kind of like subdivisions where, you know, there's the very top, which is like, that's the college football players association. That'd be like Chris Paul and the president of the NBA players association, you know, mm-hmm. and then it trickles down. There's representatives from the conference and then the conference is each broken up by each team. And then each school has, you know, two people that represent them on their conference board. And then the conference board goes to the big board. And then like the big board is the one that sits at the table with the commissioners and can go to rules meetings and like that kind of stuff. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And, uh, and that's where I think like there could be, and it's not necessarily a union, but it's just like, you're giving people, you're allowing there to be players in the room in some of the decision-making moments, you know, which has yeah. never been, never been the case previously. Right. And I think, so this is, I was listening to, um, it's actually the Pat McAfee show um, and talking about Tom Brady leaving new England. And this, it kind of reminds me of a similar thing where um, players are genuinely respected for their play, but they're not necessarily respected for their brains. So it's like here, good job, tap on the head, good pass, leave. And so one of the things that Brady has reportedly said that he, the reason why he left New England is because he wasn't respected. So it's not like he wanted whole control of the entire roster. He just kind of wanted to say in what receivers he was throwing to, like what off in the offense, who, what are going to be playing? Because these are the guys that I trust, the guys that I like, the guys, whatever. And they kind of were like, yeah, get out of here, Tom. And what it kind of reminds me in this situation is there isn't, there is a sense that you are t- talking with a child, which is it's somewhat true. Like 18 to 22 year old kids, we mentioned before, they're kind of dumb. Like, but in the same light, they're also the ones that are taking all the risk. So in- They're also the ones that are supposed to be our next leaders. Right. So when you are, when you're essentially unilaterally saying, this is what's going to happen, you're respecting the play of the player by saying, all right, you guys are going to do this stuff, but you're not respecting their brains enough to chip into the conversation. So by just allowing them to be a part of the conversation with proper representation to say like, for example, the targeting rule, the the targeting rules that have been put in place and the crackback blocks are phenomenal in my brain, like in, in the way that they've been administered, but there was no essentially conversation with how you replace these things. What's the thought and the risk that's being taken? How does this feel to actually do this? How can this be learned at this point? Can we announce this thing far enough in advance that you can start practicing other things or does it start becoming a risk too far out? So like certain things like that would be good to have player input, not even necessarily to change the rule, but just, just, just for them to say, Hey, we heard this conversation. We uh, understand that this is going to be a thing that's going to be said this is what's going to come down the pipeline. Here's how we can do it better. So in my mind, there's just having a, having a conversation respecting the brain of the players, um, not necessarily physically, which needs to happen, but just more uh, respecting that they have a thought and an input. But this goes back to another thing that kind of reminds me of the Justin Fields petition. Justin Fields is a big voice because he is a good player. And so it was like 250 or 300,000 signatures on the, hey, Big Ten play football again thing. So 
the the parents have also chipped in of Ohio State, Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, those teams that have actually chipped in parents' letters and essentially said, like, you are trying to make a decision for someone else without talking to that person and then saying, you have to be happy with my decision. So, like, it's, it, it is, again, a very long-winded way of saying it's a great thing to do to give them a conversation, to give them a voice, but it can't just be like a good job, tap on the head, nice pass, and leave. It needs to actually have some type of concrete distribution of thoughts and ideas if it were to work. In order for it to work, it has to be 100% or none. Like you have to, everybody has to be on board. There can't, if there's any scabs at all, then there's no power to the whole thing. So um, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a great concept and it needs to happen to at least give them a voice. But like the effectiveness of it is gonna be really difficult with the way the current rules exist. For sure. All right, man, you got anything else you want to add? No, just that uh, I, I think the looking forward to a football season, I think one of the reasons that people are excited to do it is because it is some sense of normalcy and some sense of I can just talk about nothing. Like the, you can watch football, you talk about what happened with the running back and not have to worry about everything that goes in implication beyond that. So like, I'm really excited for that to happen. Like I don't watch NBA. Like I'm not at this point too much in my life watching the NBA, but I sat down and watched the entire Lakers trailblazers game last night. Great just because game. great basketball game. Dame Lowe was really good. Mm -hmm. um, but just because it allows you to kind of check out in this nonsense, nothing. So like for anyone that's considering or that kind of thinks like, well, it's sports are trivial. Um, or entertainment is trivial in a time like this or in an age like this, yes and no. It is nothing, but it is a useful nothing. It's a useful nothing that allows people to not stress about things and just to enjoy being in the moment. And there's nothing like live sports to be in the moment, like, or there's nothing like live sports to just exist in the moment because you can't, you don't know what the outcome is going to be ahead of time. You don't know what the outcome of any given second is going to be. Someone might fumble, someone might throw an interception, there might be a penalty. Like you don't know what the next three seconds are gonna be. You can watch a movie over and over, you can get the ending spoiled. You can watch, go to a movie theater and you know generally how things are gonna play out uh, until you actually watch the movie. So like sports are the most unpredictable entertainment and that's in my mind one of the things that I'm most excited for because I know the sport and I can look at all these crazy different details and kind of be present in the moment and not worry about anything. So here's to hope in football season does go off relatively hitch-free, relatively, just so we can kind of ignore things for a second, exist in the space of watching one young man hit another young man wearing football pads. It sounds glorious. It sounds, wonderful. sounds wonderful. All right, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate you taking the time. We'll uh, catch up with you again next week, all right? All right. Sounds good.